Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. He said in John 7, 6, John 7, 6, Jesus said unto them, my time is not yet come. Then he said in John 7, 8, John 7, 8, go up to the feast. I go not up unto this feast, for my time is not yet come. He said in, in, in John 13, 1, John 13, 1, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. And then when he actually prayed his high priestly prayer in John 17, 1, John 17, 1, it says, these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son. Now, you and I don't know what's gonna happen to us in the future. Jacob didn't know. You know, this. we're gonna come to the point where in this chapter when he says, okay, now let me die. Well, it was a long time since then since he died. But anyway, and, and, and Paul really didn't know in advance when he was gonna die, but when he got to that <laughs> period of time, he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.6, 2 Timothy 4.6, for I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. So this scene here of this 130-year-old Jacob, now on his way down to Egypt, it shows us that we should never think of ourselves as I'm settled in for the final approach you know, in, in, in life. We always gotta be ready for a move that God may have in store for us. Now we're told in verse 26 that the number that came into Egypt was 66, and then in verse, 20, and, and then in verse 27, when he counted the, some others, it was 70 with Joseph and his sons, and. But Stephen, as I read to you earlier in, in Acts 7.14, Acts 7.14, he gives a different number. And says, then sent Joseph and called his father Jacob to him and all his kindred were three score and 15. So that's 75. So how do you reconcile 70 and 75? Well, the Septuagint talks about certain grandchildren which are not part of the list and, 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 and I don't wanna try and justify each number but just make you aware that there is this difference of the of the 75 and the 70. And, and anyway, we may have to wait till we get to heaven to get the right accounting here. But anyways, how that was all figured out. But now in verse 28, Jacob does something surprising. Look at that verse 28. He sends Judah, he sent Judah before him unto Joseph to direct his face unto Goshen. They came into the land of Goshen. So he sends Judah ahead of him to direct him into where he should go, into Goshen. Of all the sons, why do you think that of all the sons, Jacob chose Judah 
descend before him to Joseph. Why do you think? Yeah, okay. So he took responsibility for Benjamin. So in other words, Judah had proved himself to be faithful because of all the brothers, he, he is the one who, who, who took responsibility for Benjamin and brought Benjamin back. Any other reasons? Okay, well, he's become this preeminent son in Jacob's uh, view, and he's shown himself to be a persuasive speaker. He's a persuasive speaker there. You know, it was Judah who convinced Jacob to let Benjamin go in the first place. And so these are the, some of the reasons why it, it, that Jacob has now placed his confidence in, in, in Judah. It's not easy for Jacob to place his confidence in any of his children, <laughs> but he does now with Judah, and he says, Judah is faithful, Judah is wise, Judah is eloquent, and therefore is pre- preeminent. So Jacob, what we see here now, Jacob putting his confidence in Judah it's kind of like Jacob has received light from God that there is something special, there's something preeminent about Judah. And this light is gonna continue to grow and grow in Jacob until on his deathbed, he's gonna see, I thought it was Joseph. It's not Joseph, it's Judah. He is gonna be the central leader that all of the other brothers are gonna gather around. So Jacob sends Judah in verse 28, and this is the beginning of this revelation, like I said here, that Judah is gonna grow, is gonna, is the preeminent one. And this revelation, it's growing stronger and stronger and fuller and fuller and clearer and clearer to Jacob until on his deathbed he gives the final blessing and he sees that it's through Judah that the Messiah is gonna come. The Lord Jesus Christ is gonna come. But this developing revelation that, that Jacob is receiving about Judah. It's a picture for us. It's a picture of what, what happened to us when God revealed to us be, well, bit by bit the importance of the Lord Jesus Christ as God and Savior. This, of course, is dramatically in, in the life of Paul you know, in Acts 9, in Acts 9 when he's converted, Acts 9, 1, Saul breathing out, threatening slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went into the high priest, desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. He fell to the earth, heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He said, who art thou, Lord? The Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest, hard for thee, kick against the pricks. He trembling. And astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Okay, so Judah is sent. Judah has these instructions from Jacob, which are, first of all, to announce that Jacob is coming, and second of all, to receive instructions for Joseph as to where to go, what to do when they come into Egypt. So we see how Judah was entrusted to go to Jacob, and Judah became like the guide or the leader of Jacob. And Judah in that role for us is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because as the Lord Jesus Christ went to heaven, he went before us to heaven. And then 
having received from the Father the instructions, then he becomes for us the guide, the leader for us to heaven. Okay, now Jacob arrives in the land of Goshen in verse 23, verse 23, they came into the land of Goshen. And, and Goshen is this part of Egypt that is actually closest to Canaan, physically the closest part. But, but Goshen is not where Joseph was. Joseph was in the royal city, not Cairo. <laughs> he was in the royal city of Memphis, which sits higher in altitude than, than Goshen does. That's why it's always spoken about from Memphis going down to Goshen, from Goshen going up to Memphis. Now, we see Judah having now told Joseph and, 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 that Jacob was coming, we see what he do, what Joseph does in verse 29. Verse 29, Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, to Goshen and presented himself unto him. And he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. All right. First thing Joseph does is he says, get the chariot out of the garage. <laughs> Clean it up. He gets it ready. And he goes up it goes down, rather, to meet Jacob in Goshen. And the first thing that we read about is when he met his father is that he presented himself unto him. Now, I have to tell you, that's not the best translation of the Hebrew there. Because the Hebrew is really reading that, that, that Joseph became visible to Jacob it's really indicating that Joseph appeared to Jacob. Joseph became known to Jacob. That's the sense and the meaning of the Hebrew here. The idea that's being, poor, that's being brought to us in verse 29 is that Joseph becomes visible to Jacob. So it brings this idea that, that Jacob didn't first recognize this was Joseph, but Joseph became visible to Jacob. That's the meaning of the Hebrew in verse 29. So, so Joseph appears to Jacob He's in all of his glory. Imagine, you know, the, people, the, the Egyptians going in front of his chariot saying to everybody, bow the knee, bow the knee. Now, that's not the way Jacob remembered his little errand boy <laughs> running around the house, right? So at first, when Jacob sees Joseph in all his glory, he didn't recognize him. He didn't recognize him as Joseph. And we can imagine Jacob looking with this complete amazement at this person, this ruler of Egypt, with all of his glory, and Jacob saying something like this to himself, Joseph, is that you? <laughs> is it really you? And that's the sense behind how the Hebrew reads in verse 29 when it says Joseph present himself, when it really is Joseph became known to Jacob. And that's a picture for us. That's a beautiful picture because it shows for us how at first we won't recognize the Lord Jesus in all of his glory. Just like Jacob began to realize that it was really Joseph, it'll begin, we'll begin to realize that's really the Lord Jesus. Kind of like Mary. Remember Mary at the tomb? She's talking. She thinks it's the gardener. <laughs> but it's really the Lord Jesus. She doesn't realize it's the Lord Jesus. 
until finally she realizes in, in John 20, verse 14, John 20, verse 14, and when she had said thus, she turned herself back and said, saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. And Jesus said unto her, woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She's supposing him to be the gardener. Saith unto him, sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I'll take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary, she turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say master. See, that scene, that's the same scene here in verse 29 of Jacob realizing, it really is Joseph, it's Joseph. And this is an important scene because it's like a, it's like a prophecy or a forerunner when the Jewish people will finally realize their God is the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is seen for us in Zechariah 13.6. In Zechariah 13.6, it says, And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hands? Then he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. And then so, so they're looking at him, they're looking at him, they're looking at the wounds, and then it comes, and then we read in Zechariah 12.10, Zechariah 12.10, the, I will pour, I will pour upon the house of David, upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplications, and they shall look upon me, whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is bitterness for his firstborn. Why? The wounds. It's going to be the wounds in his hands that's going to cause the Jewish people to finally realize our God is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our God, just like the Fanny Crosby hymn. Fanny Crosby wrote the hymn, when my life work is ended and I cross the swelling tide, when the bright and glorious morning I shall see, I, I shall know my Redeemer when I reach the other side and his smile will be the first to welcome me. I shall know him, I shall know him and redeemed by his side I shall stand. I shall know him, I shall know him by the print of the nails in his hands. Oh, the soul-thrilling rapture when I view his blessed face and the luster of his kindly beaming eye. That's a perfect description of what it's gonna be like when the Lord Jesus Christ becomes visible to us and when in heaven it's gonna be the soul-thrilling rapture when I view his blessed face. You know, for a person who was blind practically from birth, Fanny Crosby spoke a lot about seeing and, and when she wrote, I shall know him, I shall know him, by the print of the nails in his hands, that's the same way that the Jewish people are gonna finally know him in Zechariah 13, 6 and, and Zechariah 12, 10, by the print uh, uh, of the nails in his hands. Okay, now, as soon as Joseph becomes, uh, uh, be, uh, did become visible to Jacob, we read in verse 29, verse 29, he fell on his neck, and wept on his neck a good while. He fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. You know that, 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 that soft part of the body there, the neck, where you can just sort of nestle down in it and just have a great cry, you know? <laughs> That's a scene of affection. And, 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 and actually, I have to tell you, the Hebrew's not clear here. It's not exactly clear who fell on whose neck. I mean, was it Jacob who fell on Joseph's neck or was it Joseph who fell on Jacob's neck? But since the subject of the phrase before us was Joseph becoming visible to Jacob, we can assume that it was Joseph who fell on Jacob's neck. 
And when Joseph fell on, the ne- on Jacob's neck, we read that he, he, he wept there on Jacob's neck a good while, a good while. It's a little detail, a good while. Then he wept on his face there a good while. It's important because it carries us back to the previous chapter, Genesis 45, 14. Genesis 45, 14. 45, 14 says about Benjamin that Joseph, he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck. So this is a mutual neck weeping. And so in that meeting between Joseph and Benjamin, we read that Joseph wept on Benjamin's neck, but it doesn't have that detail. A good while. That's not there. A good while. But it's here to describe when Joseph fell on Jacob's neck and he wept on Jacob's neck a good while. You know, that's important. The fact that it says a good while when Joseph was reunited with Jacob, and it doesn't say a good while when Joseph was reunited with Benjamin. You know what that shows us? It shows us that, yes, Joseph loved Benjamin, but Joseph loved Jacob a lot more than Benjamin because he wept on his, his neck a good while. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew behind the good while, it really means repeatedly, repeatedly, like there was one wave of crying after another wave of crying. You know, and there wasn't this calm, like you cry and then, okay, catch my breath now. No, it was just one rave after the other, and, and, and it was a continuous waves of crying. You know, the same scene as when David and Jonathan wept together after Jonathan told David his father Saul was intending to kill David. And it says in 1 Samuel 20, 41, 1 Samuel 20, 41, as soon as the lad was gone, David arose out of a place toward the south and fell on his face toward the ground and bowed himself three times. And they kissed one another and wept one with another until David exceeded. So we can see there again waves of crying between David and Jonathan, except that David had more waves of crying than Jonathan. <laughs> you know, David had the last wave of crying. Now, so this reunion, which is what this is, this reunion between Joseph and Jacob, it's tender. It's beautiful. And you can imagine Jacob must have been thinking to himself as he's, as he's there, he must have been thinking to himself, I thought Joseph was dead. I, I, I heard that Joseph was alive, but now I see he really is alive. Just like the person who's come back from the dead. And he's got all this glory. And, and, and Jacob is kind of stunned with the sight of seeing Joseph alive. Because he'd gone through so many years thinking he was dead. And, and, and he, but he'd heard that he was alive. And it, and it gives further body to this meaning in verse 29 of Joseph appearing to Jacob. He's appearing to him. And, but, but, but Jacob went through this surprise of confirmation. You know, he'd heard, but now he sees. So surprise of confirmation that Joseph really was alive. That's the way it's gonna be for us. That's the way, we know from the crucifixion, the Lord Jesus died. And, and like Jacob, we heard, you know, I mean, Jacob heard that, 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 that that, that, that Joseph was dead. He had, that, he had that, that bloody coat of many colors to show to him that Joseph had died. 
But just as Jacob heard from the brothers that Joseph was really alive, we heard from the Bible that the Lord Jesus is really alive. But there was this time when he saw him, and it was just like the shock of confirmation when he saw, no, he really is alive. Joseph is alive. And he probably pinched himself and make sure it was not just a dream. And that's going to be a shock of the confirmation when we see the Lord Jesus alive. We'll probably pinch ourselves also, make sure it's not just a dream. But when Joseph fell on Jacob's neck and wept, it shows us something about Joseph, something really important, that he still had the capability to cry. He had the capability of a heartfelt crying. You know, it shows us that all the hard blows that had come to Joseph in his life, being a slave, being hurt in prison, being falsely accused, it hadn't left Joseph as a hardened, bitter man that lost his capability of crying. And not only does the neck crying show that Joseph didn't become a hard-hearted, bitter man, it also shows that with all the glorious exaltation of becoming ruler in Egypt, with all those heralds going before Joseph, telling everyone in in Egypt to bow the knee to Joseph, that Joseph had also not become a hard-hearted, proud man. You know, Proverbs tells us that what really tries a man is praise. Proverbs 27.21, Proverbs 27.21 says, as the finding pot for silver and the furnace for gold, so is a man to his praise, and Joseph had a lot of praise. He had those heralds running around saying, everybody bow the knee. But it didn't make him a hard-hearted, proud man. This is how the strange woman, this is how the strange woman in Proverbs brings men down by, by flattering them, by praising them. It says in Proverbs 7.21, Proverbs 7.21, with her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. And you can see that in Proverbs 7.15, Proverbs 7.15, when she speaks to them, the man, she says, therefore came I forth to meet thee diligently to seek thy face. I found thee. So this shows when Joseph is, when Joseph is there is crying he, he, on the neck of Jacob, he's still a tenderhearted man. Praise hasn't made him hard. Hard to, uh, trials hasn't made him bitter and hard. He's still a tender man. He's still showing the humility of 1 Peter 5.5. 5. 1 Peter 5.5 5 says, likewise ye younger, he was younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Jacob was elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for recording all these things for us, Lord, that we can see how we should be and we can learn. And we thank you too, Lord, that as we've looked over the family of all those names and seen uh, not exactly the godliness that we would hope to have seen in all, but thank you for your grace, Lord, and and, uh, also for your grace in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. 
Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. The Creation and Earth History Museum is excited to present our Israel Live summer trips in June, July, and August. Experience a trip to the Holy Land where you'll walk in the footsteps of Jesus and His Apostles, visit some of the most important sites to human history, and seek to make friendships with Jewish people that'll last a lifetime and into eternity. We hope you'll join us in reaching the nation of Israel, one friendship at a time. For more info, visit us at israelalive.org. That's israelalive.org.